be in Luke chapter 24 this morning, Luke chapter 24. I don't know about you guys, but I grew up playing sports. Who grew up in the room? You guys grew up playing sports, okay? So we would always start our season with practices, and the coaches would call these practices conditioning practices. Now, if you played sports, you know conditioning is just code word for torture. Conditioning just meant that you were going to run, and you were going to run, and you were going to run, and you were going to run some more. Anybody in the room like running? Okay, uh, we're praying for you guys. Um, we, we just knew we were just going to have to run. We're going to be tortured, and there's going to be so much running, and that's how our, our seasons would, would often start. They'd start with conditioning practices. And when you think about life, everything has a starting point, right? Your relationships have a starting point. Your jobs have a starting point. You had a starting point. Many of you were started on purpose. Some of you may have been one of those accident babies, if you know what I mean. But we're still glad you made it. But everything has a starting point. And the starting point for the Christian faith and the starting point for our faith story is Easter. But Easter didn't start off all that happy. In fact, there were several traumatic events that led up to Easter happening. There was, there was loss. There was pain. There was anxiety. There was doubts. There was denial. There was betrayal. In fact, one of the closest friends and followers of Jesus not only doubted his faith and denied his faith, but he deconstructed his faith. Because leading up to the Easter story, a lot of people were a lot of his followers were really unsettled. And they were unsettled because they had placed their hopes, their dreams, and their future on Jesus. And when Jesus died, came the death of their hopes and dreams and futures. Can we be honest? The last two years for many of us have been very unsettling. The last couple of years, we have all experienced loss. We've experienced pain. The world was shut down for a season of time. Mental health crisis has been, been going on. We have a war in Ukraine now. And a lot of us are like the early followers of Jesus before the Easter story. A lot of us are a little bit, well, unsettled. But this is what Easter shows us. Easter shows us that even in the most unsettled times, even in times where we may have experienced loss and pain and suffering, that there can still be hope and the impossible can be possible because resurrection can happen in our lives. I want us to see this morning the story of the first Easter in Luke chapter 24. The story of how all this began. In Luke chapter 24, uh, verse number 1, this is what it says. It says, on the first day of the week, the first day of the week is Sunday. That's today. That's why we gather on Sundays. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning. Any morning people in the room? Morning people in the room? Okay, we are praying for you too. I know most of y'all aren't morning people because you didn't go to the 9 a.m. service. You came to the 1030 service, right? So very early in the morning, these people came to the tomb. These were ladies, and they brought spices they had prepared. Now, these aren't cooking spices. like They weren't bringing garlic with them. These were spices to preserve a dead body. 
They didn't go to the tomb that day expecting the tomb to be empty. They went to the tomb that day for closure from one of the most painful, horrific, terrible events in their life, Jesus Christ dying. They went to the tomb for closure. They, they didn't think that, uh, that they're going to find an empty tomb. They didn't have like a countdown on their cell phone like, all right, Jesus died. Three days, he's coming back. Two days, he's coming back. Oh, we got one more day. Jesus is coming back. Oh, we got one hour. Okay, we better hurry up and get ready because we got to stop through the drive-thru and get his favorite falafel so when he resurrects, we can give it to him. On the first Easter, nobody expected no body. On the first Easter, nobody expected no body. His friends didn't, his family didn't, his followers didn't, but that's what they found. Verse number two, it says, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, can you imagine these people, these ladies that are coming to, to, to visit the tomb of Jesus? They were some of his closest friends. Can you imagine going to a tomb to visit one of your closest friends that had passed away and you went there and, and the grave was empty? What would you be thinking? What's, what's going on? What's happening? It says they went in and they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Man, they must have been like, what's going on? Like, like where's he at? Well, look what their response was. It was the same that your response would be in verse number four. They were perplexed. Suddenly, two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. These were angels. They didn't expect this. And after seeing the angels, look what they did. Verse 5. The women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Ask the men. These angels ask actually a very logical question to these ladies that in the moment, can you imagine how much emotion they must be having? Can you imagine what they must be feeling? They had experienced these traumatic events of seeing him die. They had experienced the doubt and the pain and all this. And then they go for closure to the tomb and the tomb is empty. Then all of a sudden two angels pop up and he's like, hey, why are you seeking for the living among the dead? I mean, th this is a lot happening in their lives in this moment. Verse 6, this is what the angel said. He is not here. Can we say those four words together? Ready? He is not here. One more time. Ready? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Galilee was the place where Jesus lived, where they spent most of the time with him. Saying, this is what he said. Saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. Verse 8, it says they remembered his words. Have you ever had somebody tell you something, and you didn't really connect the dots? And then later on, something happened, or you experienced something, or they said something, and they were like, and you were like, oh, I remember when you said that. Oh, I remember that. Get this. Jesus had predicted his death and resurrection, he had said it would happen, and in that moment, they remembered his words. So what did they do now? Well, verse 9, returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. 
So the 11 here are the 11 apostles. Remember, there were 12, but Judas had committed suicide. So they reported to the 11. Who were the ladies? Verse 10, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with whom were telling the apostles these things. Now, I've got to point out the significance of something here, is that ladies were the first witnesses of the resurrection. You say, big deal, what's, what's that matter? In the first century, a woman's testimony was not even considered something you could take seriously in the court of law. They had no standing. But yet Jesus chose women to be the first witnesses of the resurrection. Why? Because he values women. Because God loves women. Because God places a high premium on them. Verse number 11, when it says this, when, when, the, when the apostles heard about this, these words seemed like nonsense to them. And they did not believe the women. Hey, if somebody told you that one of your close friends or family members that was dead had resurrected, and they're like, hey, just so you know, they're alive. You know what it would seem like to you? Nonsense. It was nonsense to them. And they didn't believe the women. But one guy, verse 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Either Peter really liked running or Peter wanted to see if it really was empty. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Now we read that account, and you heard this account, and maybe you're in this room because somebody forced you, asked you, begged you, whatever, to come here. And maybe when you read this account, you're like, of all the thing in the story, the thing that really resonates with me is the word nonsense, because I believe that it's nonsense that this whole resurrection thing actually happened. Have you ever considered the history and the facts around the resurrection? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever considered this? That when the message of Jesus of a resurrected Savior spread, it spread in the city that he proposedly, supposedly, resurrected, Jerusalem. Think about this. If you were making up a story, if you were making up a fairy tale, and you were telling somebody that, you were telling people that, that this person resurrected from the dead, this is what you wouldn't do. You wouldn't go spread the word in the very city. Because what could happen? I could just go and see the tomb and validate, oh, he's there or he's not there. What you would do is you would go hundreds and hundreds of miles away, and you would spread the message where the message couldn't be, where, where you couldn't verify it. These people could actually verify the message. Why would it be spread in the very city if it didn't actually happen? <laughs> you say, well, it's easy. Here's why. Because the body was stolen. Have you ever thought about this? You thought about this. The Roman soldiers, the Roman soldiers that guarded um, the tomb, if they were to let a body be taken, it would be punishable by death. The tomb of Jesus was guarded by, by some Roman soldiers. Now, these Roman soldiers are not like the, you guys ever seen the movie Paul Blart Mall Cop? Like, these are not like your, your Paul Blart, Renacop security on the Segway, beep, 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 beep. Like, no. Like, these bros are like trained killing machines. And if a Roman seal that was on a tomb was broken, the Roman soldiers, it was a punishable offense by death. So Roman soldiers could die if they let somebody take the body. And consider this, a ragtag group of fishermen that were followers of Jesus aren't going to be punking out some big, tough, killing machines that are Roman soldiers. Thought about that? Have you thought about this? The earlier followers of Jesus 
They died not for something they just believed, but something that they saw. Think about this, for example. This isn't even, this isn't scripture. This is history. All of those 11 guys, they all died for a resurrected savior. Like they died for their faith in him. Now today, if somebody dies for their faith, they don't die and die for something they actually see. They died for something that they believe, right? Because nobody today has actually seen the resurrected Savior. I know you did. That was just a really bad dream, okay? That was like a bad pizza or something. No, when people today die for a faith, they don't die for something they see, but something they believe. These guys, one by one, they were forced with death. They were forced with death if they would not deny the resurrected Savior. And at the end of your life, if you're holding on to a fairy tale, you aren't willing to die for a fairy tale. But every one of them gave their life, not for something that they just believed, but something they saw. Have you ever thought about this? this? That James, who was the brother of Jesus, ended up becoming a follower of Jesus. How many of you guys in the room, how many of you guys have siblings? You guys have siblings? siblings? So let's check it out. What, uh, what, would, what would have to happen? What would happen if your brother came to you? I got a sister. Or your sister came to you. And said, I just want you to know, I am the very son of God. I'm God in the flesh. I'm the only way to salvation. You must come through me. You must trust me for your eternity. What would you say to your sibling? Be like, okay, bro. I don't know what you're smoking, but it's not legal. (laughs) The brother of Jesus, James, was actually skeptical. His response to Jesus initially was the same response that you had. (laughs) What? But something happened that caused James, the skeptical, doubting brother of Jesus, to become a Jesus follower. That makes zero sense any more than it would make sense for you to believe that about your brother. It makes zero sense unless Jesus resurrected from the dead. You see, the, the facts that some of us think in our minds like, man, it's crazy to believe in the resurrection. If you think about it, it's actually believable when you look at the facts. And this is what faith is, guys. Faith occurs when the unexplainable confronts the undeniable. This is what faith is. Faith is when the unexplainable, the resurrection, confronts the undeniable. That's when faith begins in Christ. Now, you might be in the room and you might say, hey, Pastor Nate, that's cool. There's a lot of people of faith in this room. In fact, I'm kind of uncomfortable because I'm not a person of faith. I don't have faith. That's not true. Every person in this room has faith. You don't get to choose if you have faith or not. You just get to choose where will you direct that faith. That's it. Some of you say, well, bro, I don't, I trust myself. Like, that's who I trust. Good luck with that, dude. Some of y'all are like, I trust my ability, like, you know, like that song, like, whatever knocks me down makes me stronger, whatever. Okay, what happens when you get knocked down too bad and you're disabled in a wheelchair? Some of you are like, okay, Pastor Nate, like, okay, this is where my faith is at. My faith is in science. I would say as a pastor, great. Did you know the foundation for some of history's greatest scientific discoveries were first found in the scripture? Here's what you need to know about faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus Christ is not having all of your questions answered right now. This is what it is. It's coming to grips with the undeniable event of the resurrection while still wrestling with some of those doubts. Becoming a follower of Jesus is not about becoming a better person. It's about realizing the fact that Jesus resurrected from the dead. 
And when you put your faith and trust in what he did for you, it actually changes everything. And the first place that it changes, it changes the fact that you now have hope. There's a lady. Her name is Joni Tata. Joni was paralyzed as a, as a teenager in a terrible diving accident. She was beautiful. She was popular. She was athletic. She was brilliant. She was a great artist. But as a teenager, she, uh, she was not a Jesus follower. God was not in her radar. But she's been in a wheelchair for, for more than 50 years now in her life, for the past 50 years. And in her biography, she talks about how the fact that even though she's in this wheelchair, she still has an immense amount of hope. In fact, I want you guys to hear from her words. When I go to heaven, I'm going to push my wheelchair to the throne of Jesus. Notice, I'll be walking. And I'm going to thank him for every character-refining work he did in me and through me because of this wheelchair. A hope-filled person despite being in a wheelchair. You know, her name is Tara. Maybe when she does the wheelchair thing, she's going to say, ta-da, I don't know. Um, compare that with a man by the name of Bertrand Russell, who actually wrote the book, Why I'm Not a Christian. He was at the end of his life, and this is what he said. The darkness I have always feared is finally overtaking me. He has no In the Easter story, one of the people that initially was, was very unsettled and very fearful and very worried and very anxious. In fact, this guy ended up deconstructing his faith, Peter. The resurrection, after the resurrection, he writes about the fact that his hope is now alive because his hope is now in what happened. In fact, I want you to hear his words, because his words can be your words. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a, what are those next two words? Into a living hope. Through my new job promotion that I'm going to get. My living hope is through, if my kids just turn out, if they just turn out, through, if I can just make a little bit more money. No, no, how is it? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter says, my hope is literally alive. It's a living hope. Now, when it comes to biblical hope, biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It's confident expectation. It's a confident expectation. You guys ever like wish for things? You ever have like wishes, like maybe you're going to work and you're like, I hope today, I wish that there's not any traffic on the road. Please help there be no accidents. Or you ever go to work, maybe you have a coworker that they're a little, uh, and you're like, I wish, I hope that they're going to call in sick today because I don't want to deal with them. You ever, you ever go home and you're like, I hope that my kids tonight are not going to fight because if they're going to fight with each other, I'm just, oh, I can't take it anymore. It's like, I wish. When we say hope, a lot of times what we think it, what, what we equate it to is wishing. But biblical hope is not a wish. It is a confident expectation, and it's through what Christ did. Now, this confident expectation, this hope, is a really powerful thing for everybody. The scientists, scientists did this, uh, this experiment a, a long time ago on rats. 
How many of you guys in the room, um, you're like me, you don't care for rats, you don't care for rodents, okay, don't, like if a rat was here, I would like jump and run away, and I might scream like a seven-year-old schoolgirl, I don't know, I'm not really a rat kind of guy, not really a rodent kind of thing, and they did this, they did this scientific discovery, the scientific experiment, and this is kind of cruel or whatever, just hang with me, I think it illustrates something, where they, they took these big old uh, uh, wharf rats, like you would see at Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco, and they put them in water, and they were going to see how long they could survive without drowning. So they did this experiment, and they found out that, uh, that those big old wharf rats could go 17 minutes without drowning. 17 minutes, they're going to die. So they tried something, and they said, what would happen if we were to take them out right before they were going to drown? Like at the 16-minute mark, what would happen? So they took them out, and they, they took them out, and they said a little, wise, a little time later, they put them back in the water. Because they were going to see, okay... They knew that they possibly could be rescued, so let's put them back in the water and see if they would last for any longer. Get this. This is crazy. The rats that were rescued right before the 17-minute mark, when they put them back in the water, they survived at an average rate of at least 32 hours. I was like, hope is powerful even for rats. Like, that's crazy. Now look what our hope one day, if our hope is in Christ, will turn into. Verse 4, into an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You see, because of the resurrection of Jesus, it shows that one day, even if it's not today, our faith will be made sight, and everything is going to be made right. Because there is inheritance in heaven waiting for us. You see, because of the resurrection, one day there will be no more pain. There'll be no more death, there'll be no more difficulty, because Jesus Christ conquered all of those things. That death does not have the final word, that pain does not have the final word, that depression does not have the final word, that anxiety does not have the final word, that none of those things has the final word, because when Jesus resurrected from the dead, it shows that everything he said is true, and one day he is coming back, and one day he will make all things new, because that is who Jesus is that is the implications of the resurrection and because of the resurrection right now you can have hope in whatever you're experiencing in the health difficulty in the family problem in the marriage issue in the in the prodigal child in the career in the finances you can have hope and even if god does not make those things right today there will be a day when it is made right but for this to happen, your hope must be in a person. As we wrap up the message this morning, I just want to ask you guys a question. I want us to get like very real because it's just us in here. Right? It's just us. Practically, where's your hope at? Practically, what are you looking to for hope? What is your life? truly centered on. The message of Easter, of a resurrected Savior, is not something that, that can get left in a church service on an hour on Easter Sunday morning. It's not like, okay, the message of Easter, cool, all right, I'm going to head to lunch. Next Easter, I'll revisit that again. No, no, it's a dead man coming out of the grave. C.S. Lewis said this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. But if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. 
Christianity of false is of no importance. If true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And maybe you're in this room this morning and you're a Christ follower, but if you're just going to be real, right, just be real, it's just us in the room, it's been moderately important to you. But it can't be because he resurrected. You can only experience the hope of the resurrection when you make it your hope. Now, every one of us in the room this morning are really in one of four places spiritually. Every single one of you, no matter what brought you here, no matter what your background is, no matter where you are, everybody in this room is in one of four places spiritually. One, maybe you're a Christ follower and you are fully following the Lord. You understand, you understand the implications of the resurrection. You have made a decision to put your faith and trust in him to be your savior and you're following him. Maybe number two, maybe you're a Christ follower, but there's places in your life that you aren't fully following. Maybe it's in the way you prioritize the local church. Maybe it's the way you prioritize the scripture. Maybe it's something completely different. Maybe it's how you handle your family. But if you're honest, you know there's places in your life where you're not fully following the Lord. Some of you are number three. And this really excites me today. Some of you, you're not yet a Christ follower, but you are ready to put your complete trust in him. Listen, Easter Sunday, 2022. If today you will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your savior, this is the first day of the rest of your life. Today can be the day that changes everything for you. And some of you, you say, today I want to do that. Some of you are in the fourth one. And you just need to consider becoming a Christ follower. You're not at that point where you're like, I'm in. Like, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm putting my faith in Jesus today to be my Savior. But that's what you need to do. You just need to consider it. You just need to think about it. Because if a dead man can resurrect from the grave, then you need to at least think about it. And that's what we want to do to help you. First of all, uh, there's a couple things. One, there's a deciding to follow Jesus booklet in the lobby on a table. This is what we invite you to do. If you're number four, we invite you to grab one of these on your way out. Now, some of you are like, I don't want people to see me with it. So you can like, maybe you're just kind of walking, looking around, like, all right, quick swipe, right? You can do this. You can grab one of these. You can go to sassoonchurch.com. There's a page that says, what does it mean to be a Christ follower? You also, you, you can, you can go to that page. You can text us at 707-410-5226 and we can help you walk, walk, walk with, walk. Do I even know what I'm saying here? We can help you walk through what does it mean to be a Christ follower. And when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you truly can have hope and not just any kind of hope, but you can have a living hope. I'm going to pray for us.